It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist with Tasting Menu, a selection of the tastiest morsels from this week's issue. I'm Anne McElvoy and I lead Economist Radio. On our menu this week, fixing the global scourge of potholes, green spaces are in retreat in the Middle East and airships may soon be delivering groceries to the Arctic. But first, how to make a good teacher was our cover line this week. What matters in schools is first and foremost teachers, yet the idea of teaching as an innate quality has long held back progression in the profession. But good teaching can be taught and should be taught. Such was the lesson in our cover leader this week. Forget smart uniforms and small classes. The secret to stellar grades and thriving students is teachers. Thankfully, good teaching is a lesson to be learnt. The premise that teaching ability is something you either have or don't is mistaken. A new breed of teacher trainers is founding a rigorous science of pedagogy. And you can read all about the revolutionary reformers teaching the teachers in our briefing this week. The idea of improving the average teacher could revolutionise the entire profession. Around the world, few teachers are well enough prepared before being let loose on children. Yet even with more learned teachers, schools need to change their ways too. Instructors in the best ones hone their craft through observation and coaching. They accept critical feedback, which their unions should not resist, but welcome as only proper for people doing such an important job. Those who can learn. So, as we offered lessons to teachers to soar to new heights, over in our Americas section, we reported on some rather daunting logistics over the skies of Canada. As an article explained, getting tinned food in the Arctic can be a logistical nightmare, so companies are floating a new proposal – Airships. Each year around this time, Craig and Kathy Welsh list all the food, drink, clothing and furniture they need for the next year. They then fly 2,000 kilometres, that's 1,250 miles, south to Ottawa from their home in Iqaluit, buy the non-perishables and put them on a ship that will call once the sea ice melts around July. Not quite popping out to the corner shop, then. It may seem extravagant, but in fact, the opposite is true. Local prices are so high that they still save money. Canada's transport network, like its people, is squeezed along its southern border. The Arctic depends on air freight, seasonal sea shipments and ice roads. Yet a new option is drifting in from the horizon. Airships. Also known as dirigibles or without a rigid structure blimps, their basic design hasn't changed in 150 years. A bag of lighter-than-air gas plus a propulsion system. That's certainly no Concorde. Dirigibles are far slower than planes. They max out at just 110 kilometres per hour. That's 70 miles per hour. But if you're used to waiting for the Arctic to melt, that shouldn't be too much of a worry. Away from Canada's icy skies, we plunge down to the searing heat of the Middle East, where many no doubt enjoy reclining under the shade of a welcoming tree. 
Yet, as an article explained, they may be getting a little rarer as parks are disappearing throughout the Arab world. The city has adorned herself with flowers of sweet-scented herbs. Waxed the great Arab traveller Ibn Jubair when he visited 12th-century Damascus. Such poetic prose may seem a little out of place these days. Amid the bloodshed, car fumes, and noise, residents are hard placed to find anything fragrant to the sprawling cities of the Arab world. The number of places where people can mingle, picnic on cool watermelon by the rivers, and fly kites has shrunk. While their populations have soared, and green spaces have been consumed by urban sprawl. Per person, the amount of land devoted to parks, squares, and other public spaces in Riyadh, for instance, has fallen by 80 percent in half a century. It isn't just parks, however. It seems that the thirst for nature is being replaced by one for profit. Unaccountable tycoons find ways to turn public spaces private. Developers, for instance, have recently fenced off one of Beirut's last stretches of natural waterfront to build more gated high-rises. We leave our Middle East and Africa section, where urban developments continue to creep into natural spaces, and flip through to our business section, where technological advances are struggling to take hold in consumer markets. The Internet of Things will connect everything from your washing machine to your toaster, and companies are keen to provide such smart utilities. They may be driving their message home, but as our article explained, they're finding it hard to get their products into it. Only six percent of American households have a smart home device, including internet-connected appliances, home monitoring systems, speakers, or lighting. And stupid homes will be around for a while yet, it seems. Breakneck growth is not expected. By 2021, the number will be just over 15 percent. Perhaps people are hesitating because they think kettles work fine just as they are. Too few consumers are convinced that the internet has a role to play in every corner of their lives. But people may just be waiting for the pricing to get a little smarter too. One of Samsung's smart fridges with cameras within that check for rotting food and enable consumers to see what they are short of while shopping through an app on their phone sells for a cool five thousand dollars. Chilling. As the calls of smart home purveyors fall on deaf ears, we flip through to our finance section, where we discover a communication breakdown plaguing the financial world. Our free exchange columnist argued that while central banks have got better at telling markets what they're doing, it's just not good enough. At times, markets and central banks resemble nothing so much as a quarrelsome couple. They pout at each other. They remonstrate. Above all, they struggle to communicate. And it just won't do, our columnist argued. But the problem is rooted in history. In the 1980s, central bankers rarely saw fit to inform the public of their near-term goals or even about past interventions. When called upon to speak in public, they did so with a practiced opacity. Though the pendulum has perhaps now swung a little too far the other way. They often obscure their message with lots of unhelpful noise. More information is better. But only to the extent that it makes future policy actions more predictable. It's not all the fault of the central banks, our columnist admitted. A shaky world economy makes confident and clear messaging difficult, but that fragility also leaves central banks with less room for error. And the world economy isn't really the place for too many of those. So, as we explained how to keep on a smooth economic road, we move to our science section, where a new method hopes to keep all roads in such fashion. Potholes are an expensive global affliction, not to mention unpleasant to drive over. Researchers are hoping to put a stop to the road rot. 
The most common cause of potholes is water penetrating cracks in a road's surface and weakening its foundation. And repairs are usually half-cocked at best. To save money, the material used for the patch is frequently worked cold. This means it is not heated with specialist equipment to make the bitumen in it soft enough to flow into the shape required and meld properly with the edges of the pothole. So researchers have found a way to turn the cold patch into a hot one. They are mixing asphalt with ground iron ore that contains magnetite, an iron oxide which, as its name suggests, is magnetic. A phenomenon called ferromagnetic resonance means that when magnetite is zapped with microwaves of an appropriate frequency, it gets hot. And hey presto, they're on the road to success. Our obituary this week paid respects to one man who well and truly travelled down that same road in his lifetime and wasn't afraid to tell everyone that he had... Muhammad Ali. Among the lumbering sloggers, he dodged and danced, floating like a butterfly, stinging like a bee. And talking like a winner, and talking a lot. His comic bragging made him the darling of sports reporters, irresistible copy. How did he train? Why? He handcuffed lightning, threw thunder in jail, murdered a rock, wrestled alligators, tussled with a whale. He was a hero in sport, but in politics too. Older boxers like Joe Lewis, his closest rival for title of best ever, wanted to be champions of all Americans, smothering their black frustrations to make everyone accept them. He was the undefeatable champion of his people, 30 million oppressed blacks, and he was smothering nothing. And even in old age and sickness, his power remained clear. And his words, being now so few rather than so many, carried all the more conviction. He hoped to be remembered as a man who never looked down on those who looked up to him. I'm Anne McElvoy, floating out of the studio now. That was our tasting menu. Do send us your feedback via email, radio at economist.com, or on Twitter at Economist Radio. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.